Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning in today with us here. You might be listening on pathtozion.com or, of course, following us here on YouTube um, with our video versions of these episodes. Uh, you can subscribe there, of course, and be notified. You probably, of course, know how to do that. And also, you can email us anytime at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. We thank you for those of you who take the time to sit down and submit questions and opinions and challenges. Um, with a heart of kindness and gentleness and self-control, with an overreaching goal of building up the body and being a, a contributor to its health and its well-being instead of just firing off weapons of assault. Um, we prefer the former, um, but we will accept and receive and uh, talk to the assault ones as well. And uh, so thank you for those of you who watch this program with regularity, or if you are brand new, welcome to the channel. Um, what we're going to talk about today is a title that's kind of been in the works, um, and I landed on what we're going to title this series. I'm presuming it's probably going to be three parts, The Mystery of One, Unity in the Church. The Mystery of One, Unity in the Church. And so we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Um, but I did want to take a minute and address um, the last series that we just concluded, I don't know, about a week ago, um, the six-part series, six uh, approximately 30-minute episodes within that series. And uh, it was titled, what was it, Festivals of Men or Feasts of the Lord. And, and what it was is a biblical challenge to the Christmas holiday, which is now just days away here as two, 2021 is, is wrapping up. And so if you have not watched that, and if you are a person who is wholeheartedly desiring to know what the Bible says is true and right and for us, then you've got to consider the, the Christmas holidays and their origins. And, and when we, what we try to do is, is put the feasts of Yahweh that, that the Bible says are His possession and His creation— and put them alongside the traditions and holidays of, of men um, and allow the Word of God to present two options, if you will, of what you memorialize, what you celebrate. And so I encourage you, if you have not watched those, to take the time to watch parts one through six um, of that last series that we did. Now, now today what we're going to talk about is something that's very dear to my heart. It's very important to me and something that I would say... I have been within the, the practicing of for, for many years now. Um, a, a brief peek, if you do not know the program or my testimony at all, um, I was raised in, in the Christian church and um, came out when I was just my in, in my teenage years. When I got out, of this, got out of school and graduated, and I moved out immediately and left going to church and came out of the religious system that I had known. Um, the Christian church as a whole. Now, I came back in and um, got back into the church and all these things I won't get, get into, but even got to a place of uh, a staff position at two different churches and got hurt and burned and, and disgruntled and all these things and just walked away and quit. Um, the story of so many people, I know it's nothing unique, um, until... I really started giving myself to allowing Father to clean the slate of my life and just kind of start over. 
and to allow his word to tell me what, what is this mysterious church? Who is she and how in the world does she function? Um, because what I had seen was not what I would read in my Bible. And they looked so different and I could never understand why. So as, as Father began to re, redefine my understanding of the church, the ecclesia understanding in the New Testament, and the called out, set apart um, believers in the Old Testament, and, and the, the, there's a word I use all the time, the perpetu- perpetuity of the two, that the, I do not believe presently that the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 any longer. It was, it was just, it became a different form on the other side of Yeshua Messiah and all that he accomplished and purchased and, and did for us. Um, but what I want to talk about in this series primarily is what does the Bible say about the, the unity of literal human beings within the body of Messiah. Now, now what I want to do is, is to dip my toe into something I'm learning that for me is very new, which is the two-house understanding. Um, if you are in mainstream Christianity, you've probably never even heard this taught before. And again, I'm 48 years old, and, and in my 45 years to that point of being in Christianity, I never heard this concept ever delivered to me, ever, <laughs> and explained. And it itself is a mystery in its own right, and very much right alongside what I'm going to talk about today. But it's too much for me. I don't have an understanding of it in my mind, in my in my heart, and it's something that's still in development, so it would be it would be foolishness for me to try to even explain um, what it is. But what I will say is a little bit of a a teaser, if you will, is is what I'm going to share in this series specifically is intimately acquainted with the greater overreaching work of Messiah, which is the 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 bringing into himself the the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and. And I would just say the gospel and the church understanding that we have been taught and told is, is, is this, this amount of water is only, by comparison, the, the vast ocean that, that Yeshua accomplished to purchase a people and to, and to go and retrieve the, the lost house that was scattered amongst the nations throughout the entire earth. And, and so what we're going to talk about today is not that, but it bears mentioning that I have to bring that up because that's what Father is teaching me right now, is the, is the grandiose splendor. There's some words we don't use too often and really can't appropriately, but this fits. The, the splendor of the work of Messiah, of redeeming humanity to be betrothed and be in the Father again after we were divorced and cast out of his presence, and rightly so because of our rebellion and harlotry. And so that, that bears mentioning. I have to bring that up because that's where I'm at right now. I studied this yesterday and a little bit this morning, and so that is already here in me, but we're not going to go there necessarily. Now, um, a couple months back, I did a few videos that I titled um, The Cup Principle. And I had a cup, and I put little stickers all over, and I talked about how it's hard for us to to be together in the body of Messiah with all of our stuff. And I put stickers on on the cup of 
of hurts and disappointments and doctrines and belief systems and upbringing and and all these things that we put on onto the body when we come into it. We bring all of our stuff, we bring all of our baggage, all of our beliefs and we try to try to how in the world do we get all of us to function together in unity. That's why it's a mystery and that's why I would like to say Holy Spirit led me to this to start the point is we have to understand a proper biblical understanding of the word one. O-N-E, number one. We have to understand what the Bible means when it talks about one. And, And I could literally start us off with a dozen scriptures just quickly where the New Testament talks about this mysterious one that Yeshua was often referencing, Paul referenced all the time, about this mystery of a, of a one man, of a one body, of, of the oneness desire of the Father to bring the people in with one set agenda. Now, what is that agenda? We're going to talk about that in measure as we go through this. But we have to understand from the outset now, as we talk about the mystery of one, we have to understand the Hebrew understanding first. Um, in the Old Testament, the usage of the word one most of the time is the word echad. Now, most of you probably know this who watch the program, but echad, okay? And, 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 and I'm going to read just a few verses to talk about this to try to establish a point that I believe is very important for us to understand rightly, or else we will not understand how this word is used throughout the Scriptures culminating in, in even in the end, in Revelation, of, the, of this one-man reality. We have to understand what this is. Now, I would say, I'll, let me read these scriptures, and then we'll, we'll move on. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That shall become echad. Okay, so there is a man leaving his father and his mother, his former identity, his his former place in life, under his father, under his mother, and he will go to his wife, and he and his wife will become literally one flesh. It's not two flesh functioning as one. They become one flesh. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Shema, Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Okay, now that's the Hebrew, of course. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, our Elohim, he, Yahweh, is one. He is echad. He is one. Now, now I would say that we have to, I'll just say it right here, we have got to address in us the Trinitarian doctrine that we have been handed in the Christian church. We have to ask questions about this Trinity-based doctrine on how we explain God, okay? And we're going to tackle that here in a moment, at least briefly. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, we see humanity. Now, this is their, this is their pre-Babel condition. And it says this, quote, And the earth, the whole earth, was of one language and of one speech. There was an echad language, one. There were not multiple languages making up the one now. There was one universal language, okay? And so I want to establish um, a point that in the biblical understanding of Echad, it is not a compound, okay? And I'm not real smart, and I'm not here to just, like, 
try to be too 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 much head knowledge and all those type of things, but this is important that we understand it and perceive it correctly. I don't believe that we are to look at what we can just say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as the person's mentality. I don't like it. I don't, with my understanding of the Bible, I see nothing that lends to person's um, discussion and, and using that word to describe Yahweh Elohim. I don't think it's necessary. I would propose that it's at least possible that the reason we've landed on the person's idea, of course, if you follow that back to, to early early state church understanding, they were they were trying to rightly label God. We have to call him something. We have to describe his three parts. Because we see him as Father, we see him as Son, we see him as Holy Spirit and Bible. The Bible presents to us that they are they're doing different functions, but they're always one. If we if we cling to the scriptures, we see that Yahweh is Echad. And so it it ha- we have to without me spending hours on talking about this, we've got to understand what are we talking about? Are we talking about a Trinitarian three in one, or are we talking about one? Not a compound one. Okay? Not a whole bunch of parts making up a one. He, Yahweh, is one. Okay? And so, like, without getting us too confused about that, we see this language example, as I just alluded to in Genesis. It was not a single language made up of other languages. There was one universal language. Same word used to describe Yahweh, God. Okay. Now, this understanding this understanding seems to to stay um, all the way. We can follow it all the way into New Testament Greek, and for the most part, the word "one" there is "heis." Okay. And I would suggest that if we embrace the broad Trinitarian doctrine, we will not properly understand the body. Okay. And and I really want to drive this home, which is why I ended up titling it "The Mystery of One," because. Friend, we do not have to understand God. Do you hear me? <laughs> this is something that I believe, especially the church of our age, because they follow the pattern of the, the state church who said, we know God and we've, we're putting in place all of this, this apostolic nonsense and, and popes and priests and, and men in functions they were never intended to function within to, to really just... I hate to say it, it's just the way it is, to lord over the church and to tell the church what is and what is not and to create new traditions, new doctrines of men, like Sunday day, Sunday Sabbath, the Lord's Day. We know it's not scriptural, but this is just an example of we're going to tell you this is what pleases God because we say so. I would submit that the same thing has appeared with the Trinity, I don't see Trinitarian doctrine in my Bible when I read it. I see the Echad reality that takes me to a place where, guess what? I can, in a clear place, say, I know the Father intimately, relationally, and according to his word and who I'm told he is and how he functions, what he desires, what he does on the behalf of men and how he orchestrates all these things as the, as the perfect, exalted one. Lord of all lords, king of all kings, God of all gods, but I don't have to understand every intricacy of who he is, okay? 
those are those do not have to be the same. Or how do I word it? I'm not wording that well. We don't have to separate the two. I can know him. I can know my father intimately. I can I can converse with my mediator Messiah, who is now seated in in this in this odd function of of between between me and the Father, communing, going before him. <laughs> He is actively now the, the way, the gate, the door. And Holy Spirit is what? Leading me constantly to the Word of God, illuminating it, uh, uh, giving me revelation towards it. Now, revelation is not some big fancy, you know, spiritual word. It takes the Word of God and, and, and brings it into, into my life as something alive, gives me direction, gives me counsel. He will teach me He, she, Holy Spirit, will teach me all things, okay? A great counselor, much like wisdom, which we talked about two series ago here on the program. And so I would propose to you, friend, are you okay with not understanding and and being able to, to clearly label God a certain way? Or is God literally, are we okay with saying he is above my comprehension. There's none like him. Who can know him in his fullness? I don't believe I can here in the here and now. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't assault my knowledge of him or my intimacy with him as my Abba Father. But I equally don't have to know every single way, and I bring all that back down to where I was five minutes ago, I don't have to define him and describe him perfectly to know him. And so I would say in our attempt to say how we know God and understand him, we understand Yahweh. So we divide him up into parts, persons. So how? Why? So we can understand him better. I'm saying maybe we don't have to. Maybe we don't have to understand him so clearly by bringing him down to to descriptions where, okay, now I understand God. Friends, no. It's okay that we don't understand all that he is. And what we know he is, is he is echad. He is one. I am of I am's, all of all in all, king of all kings. He is someone beyond my comprehension. And that's okay with me. Is it okay with you? Literally, I'm asking. Are you okay with not being able to describe God to his fullest extent? Is that okay? So this word highs. I believe we have to understand this this one verbiage through the whole scriptures now, not just in the Greek or not just in Hebrew. But I would say individual persons is is our attempt to understand the mystery, the echad mystery of Yahweh. Um, So I want to invite you to set aside, if you can, your attempts to satisfy Christianity's efforts to understand God. Because this is, this is very perplexing to understand and, of course, to explain um, in our finite understanding and our, our limited ability to understand who, who in the world Yahweh is. So what I'm hoping to present is admittedly somewhat complicated, um, but I want to I at least attempt to explain this rightly. And this, our Bibles are going to be of utmost importance. We're about to get to more scriptures. So, okay, so first, first Peter chapter 2. 
now on the surface, and I want to read this because this is awesome, because a lot of times when I read the Bible and I'm, I'm studying and I'll read something and I'll read it through my natural mind, or I'll read it according to my traditions of Christian thinking that I was handed, and I'll say, this disagrees with my whole point. This disagrees with the Echad understanding. So here's a problem. It's me. It's my understanding that's the problem. It's your understanding that's a problem when we read anything in Scripture and it seems to disagree with other parts of Scripture. The problem is not the Word of God, but our understanding towards it. What I have trained myself to do over the last 17 years or so is I need to unplug from from what I've thought, especially in the last three years. I need to unplug from all the all the just wide way Christian doctrine that I've been taught and trained that that has basically taught me that the New Testament and the Old Testament don't really agree because the New Testament is new and the Old Testament is old. It's passed away and the new is for me and I can read this and I don't have to understand how it fits all together because this kind of replaced that. That's what we've been taught in many, many ways. The Old Testament is kind of historical. Um, it's historical nonfiction. It, it is something for me to read and like, yeah, I can kind of see maybe a little bit of prophecy, but mostly I hear the story about creation. I hear about the kings. I, I study and learn about the life of David. Um, but I don't often, in my old understanding, in my Christian upbringing, I didn't understand how all of this is, is, is one beautiful symphony that works together and has got to be it's got to be agreeable, and that takes some time. Admittedly, it takes a lot of time with some things. Some things are very hard to reconcile, but they are reconcilable if we're willing to give ourselves give ourselves to studying it out and laying aside our old Christian doctrine, or maybe it's present moment Christian doctrine, depending on where we are. So, First Peter chapter two, I read this, and on the surface, it seemed to promote distinction like individuality, because we're going to keep our thumb on individuality a lot as we talk about the mystery of one, because I'm going to tell you we have got to understand the losing ourself into the body of Messiah, the losing of ourselves, and we have to really check our heart and say, am I okay with losing my individual, pers- not personality, but like, this is who I am. This is who I am. Sorry, this is just who I am. And we lose that into the greater work of the whole, of the assembly of the body, like 1 Peter chapter 2, which says this. It's talking about living stones. You likely know the verse. Um, But after I examined this a little bit closer, it actually made my point. So let's read this, verses 4 and 5, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by people, but chosen by Yah and precious to him. You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a koanim, a holy priesthood. You are set apart for him to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him through Yeshua the Messiah. So this is talking about a living stone reality, that you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Now, if you pay attention, please, I want to make a big point as we're fixing to wrap up part one here of this series. This is very, very important to what I'm going to present. The stones lose themselves into the establishing of the spiritual house that is being built. 
So think of your own life. Think of how you, if you're in body of Messiah, if you've been regenerated, you are now in him. You are no longer your own. You have lost your life for his sake. It is no longer you that live, but he, Yeshua, who lives in and through you, filled with Holy Spirit, in the people of Yahweh, who is Echad. Okay? These things are all going to come together, hopefully, in one beautiful explosion here in a little while. But the stones themselves lose the stones lose themselves into the establishing of the spiritual house that is being assembled and built. This, this holy priesthood who are, interestingly, set apart. They are holy, consecrated. Holy is Yahweh. The Echad one is holy. Okay, we talked about that the last episode. Now, I don't know very many buildings where people gaze at individual stones or blocks that make up the structure. How many times have you gone... Let's even just imagine, sadly enough, the great buildings of the of of church, whether it's Roman Catholic churches or just, you know, late 1800 structures or you know, just very ornate, beautiful buildings by our eyes. How many times do you walk up to it and look for like the most attractive stone? Or the or the, the the greatest block in the building. No, you 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 have to step back and what do you do? You you look at the finished product. You look at, metaphorically speaking, please know that I'm being clear, you look at the spiritual house. You look at the the building that has been erected as a whole in its entirety, and your focus is on what the, the individual blocks produced when they came together to create this structure, okay? And this is very important that we understand this at the very beginning here. The end result, the structure itself, is the centerpiece. The end result of all of the components coming together. One building, one house, okay? One, echad, one viewable, identifiable building. And we know, and we'll get to, of course, for anyone who might not know, all of the discussion within the Word of God who talks about the the body of Messiah, the, the church, the capital C church now, being a building, and all of the imagery therein that the Bible gives us um, towards um, what we are endeavoring to establish together. Now, we again are living stones. There is, I have to say this, I guess, to be clear, I'm not talking about like we lose our giftings, we lose our abilities, we lose all of the the intricacies that Father has given us individually. But what I'm saying is I believe there's something clear within this that Father's trying to teach me and whoever else would give themselves to it to understand that those have to be in their proper place in, in individualness to be submitted and surrendered, to be infatuated with the building, to be infatuated with the spiritual house. Because yes and amen, we are living stones, and we could do teachings on that for hours, of course. But the whole point of this is, let's take our minds off of the living stones for a moment to talk about the awe of the spiritual house that is being built with our lives which is what? The church in unity, which of course we'll get to what that looks like scripturally here in a moment. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, 
Um, and then we'll wrap up this part here. Because Scripture shows us this principle. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So, warning, if we get rid of the apostles and prophets, which were the scriptures that people studied to show themselves approved, we're in big trouble because we have no foundation. This continues, Yeshua Messiah himself being the cornerstone, the main stone to go off from there. I'm no master builder, but I know enough that when that cornerstone is set in place in perfect position, the whole house can be built out from there on the foundation and erected perfectly to create, in this sense, the the beautiful spiritual house for our Father. Continuing on, verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 2, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. Okay, again, this is building imagery. This building is being joined together and it's growing. It's being enlarged. It's being established. It's being erected. And it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for Yah by the Spirit. So listen, friends, this is just I love the imagery and how the Bible often gives us visuals of, of to display a spiritual principle. So here we are again, another house building uh, metaphor for our, for our minds, and it's also literal in a spiritual sense. So we're built on the foundation as, as we are members of the household of God. The foundation is apostle and prophets, and Yeshua is the cornerstone that everything comes out from and is built upon. And the whole structure is being joined together, and it's growing. And as the structure grows, it grows into a holy temple. And we're also being built together into a dwelling place and a a literal abode, okay? So there is an echad understanding. There is one temple, one dwelling, and to look back at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, one house, okay? One is the culmination of the living stones coming together and the allowing ourselves to be joined together and then thereby grow into establishing a holy temple for the Lord and becoming ones built together to literally establish a dwelling place for Yahweh. So the parts lose their individual identity for the greater cause. And again, to be clear, I'm not talking about how you don't matter or I don't matter. What This is where everybody goes, well, what about our giftings? What about our abilities? What about functions and role? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we're going a little bit deeper than that. That, of course, is retained and of vital importance in this because that's the living stone's reality. All the living stones perform their functions as Father intended, and that is what builds the house, okay? But the focus is not on your giftings, your abilities, and your stone, nor on mine. It's all about the building up upon to establish something where Yahweh himself can dwell. Why? Because it grows into a holy temple, okay? 
So the building of the spiritual house um, and the whole structure that grows into a holy temple is the goal. That is the goal, friends. The goal is to have an identifiable building, structure, if you will, that is worthy of Yahweh inhabiting. Do you understand that? And when we are an assembled people, we become ones who start to enter into the mystery of one. The mystery of one. Because just like the languages, and we're going to drive this home in the next part primarily, just like the languages, there was one language. One. There was, <laughs> and that's the goal of the church, is to literally be in Messiah, one with the Father. Into <laughs> This is something that just blows our mind that I literally don't have the verbiage to explain. To come into the Echad of Yahweh himself. It's incredible. And that's the invitation we're coming to. And we're going to wrap this up quickly and get right to part two. In the mystery of one, unity in the church. So what is unity? How do we attain unity? I don't know if we'll get in that in part two, but we will for sure in part three. So coming up, we're going to talk about <clears throat> Ephesians chapter four, a little bit of Romans. We're going to talk about how do we understand then the, the many members of the body? Doesn't that sound like individuality? Um, we're going to talk about that in great measure. Um, John chapter 17, we're going to read several verses in John 17 as well, where Yeshua himself is going to give us some insight and some help into this, this mystery, the mystery that it is of being one, echad, in body of Messiah, and, and find unity in the church. So thank you for watching. Tune right back in. We're going to put these episodes out quickly. Um, thank you for watching. This is, what is this? Path to Zion. We're trying to find the ancient way, and we're trying to connect it with our right now moment here today so that there's any hope for us to become the beautiful building where Yahweh God himself wants to dwell with his people and all the nations look and say, their God is different than all the other gods of the nations, and we want to know him because I see something greater than a whole bunch of differing individuals bickering and fighting down there. That's our goal. That's what we're moving towards here in this series. Thank you for watching. Amen.